0: That's fun to see those uh, highlights from the VBS, at our Vacation Bible School. And it was a great Vacation Bible School. Boy, we had a, a, a wonderful time. I get that mainly from reports from my kids because they uh, had a blast. And I know that everyone that participated, everyone I talked to, just had wonderful uh, reports from Vacation Bible School. I think as I look back on just the, the difficulties of this summer, uh, VBS, has, for the, us as a church, has definitely have to be one of those high points. It was a great experience. And so when I think about this, I think of not only those three letters, VBS, but I also think of uh, three other letters that don't bring so much joy to my heart, and those letters are DMV. I had to go to the DMV this ...renewed and get, that, and get that real ID that we have to have on our license now. And I'll be honest, the DMV has to be one of my least favorite uh, places in all the world. If I had to choose dentist appointment... Or DMV, I choose Dennis every day of the week. I mean, DMV is no fun for me. I, I don't, it's always long lines. Even if you've got an appointment, it's long lines. And then uh, you got to make sure you have everything uh, that you need. Otherwise, you're going to have to make an another appointment. And so here I had prepared for today because I did not want to go back twice And uh, so I had prepared for that day, and I thought I had all my documents lined up. Get there, I have my appointment, so I can skip the long line and go to the second long line, which is the appointment line, and stand through that, get inside. They finally call my uh, number, and I get up there, I'm like, "Uh, do you have everything you need? "I I think so. Birth certificate, Social Security card, two proofs of address, the lady behind the counter looks at it and says, "This one, this proof of address is—it's a utility bill. Only your wife's name. Well, that's—that's that's my. Come on, be gracious to me here. That's my wife's name. Uh, this bill has both my wife. You know that's where I live. Has both my name and my wife's name." You, but no, this, this second, I'm like, oh, no, I've got to make it another appointment. I've had to reschedule this appointment already because it was, it was closed down because of the pandemic uh, once already. So, she's, so the lady behind the counter says, you drove here, right? Yes, I drove here. I mean, I got my license. I have a driver's license. I drove here. Uh, go check your car registration. See if that has your name and address on it. Praise the Lord, I got it all taken care of in one day, and uh, so that was a good thing. How's your week been? How have you been doing? And uh, with all the silliness aside, I want you to really think about that question this morning. How have you been doing? How was your week this past week? You know, uh, some of us, you may be able to say that it was a great week, uh, but I know for sure that for many of us, we look at this past week and we say, you know what, I am tired out, I'm tired of this whole COVID thing, I'm uh, lonely, I'm, I'm tired of self-isolation, uh, I'm struggling with disappointments and trials in life. Uh, I'm overwhelmed with the thought of uh, distance learning with the kids in the fall. I'm stressed out about all the bad news reports and, and just the fact that we are in such a um, divisive time, especially being an election year. Maybe we just were weighed down by all the news that we receive. How has your week been this past week? You know, as we're going through the Gospel of Luke together as a church, we're now uh, in Luke chapter 20, and this is the last week of Jesus' life. He's entered into Jerusalem. And I ask that question, how is your week? How do you think Jesus' week is this past week? I mean, from the looks of things, things are terrible. Uh, He's facing opposition from every side. He's going to be deserted by his followers. He's uh, frustrated by unanswered prayers. Think of that prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. He feels abandoned not only by his followers, but eventually he will hang and die a criminal's death on a cross and feel abandoned even by... His heavenly Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you look at it, and by all appearances, this is not a good week to say the least. This is a terrible week. And yet we look at this week in hindsight, this last week of Jesus' life, and we say that it is not a terrible week, but it is without a doubt the best week in the history of this world. For this is the week that Jesus won salvation for all his people. You see, I think we need to learn to evaluate our lives by more than just how well or how poorly things are going. In fact, uh, we're going to look at a, a passage from Luke chapter 20 in which he begins to give us a prism through which to see our lives differently you see he's uh, in luke chapter 20 we see that jesus is facing opposition from every side first of all in the first eight verses uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law come and try to trip him up and then in verses 20 through 26 the the uh, pharisees send spies in to try to uncover some dirt or something that Jesus would say wrong so that they could accuse him of wrongdoing and discredit him. And then in the passage that we're going to look at today, the Sadducees come and uh, uh, begin to try to embarrass him, as we're going to see. But in his response to the Sadducees, we see that Jesus turns our minds and and our vantage point to something different. What Jesus is going to give us the ability to do is not judge our, evaluate our lives based on our circumstances, but based on something bigger, an eternal perspective. With all the difficulties and trials in life right now, we need a different way to evaluate our lives. In fact, I just want to highlight that this morning because this is what this sermon is all about. We need a different way to evaluate our lives. And I just want to give you a moment for that to sink in because I think this is uh, important for all of us. This morning we're going to be challenged to not just to think of our lives in terms of circumstances or outward appearances or how well or how poorly things are going. To be go- uh, are going. We're going to be challenged by Jesus' teaching to, uh, to evaluate our lives in a different way and this is an extremely important application for us right now so before we turn to the scriptures let's just go before uh, the Lord and ask for his help that uh, Jesus might be our teacher and he might guide us in his instructions for us let's go before the Lord in prayer Father God we now just pause and we ask that you would come into this sanctuary and into each person's home or apartment or office or wherever they may be watching this message. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us and impress upon us the word that you would have for us today. So God, be our teacher and may you glorify yourself. Just take me out of the picture and, uh, and may it be all about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we are in Luke chapter 20, and this morning we are going to be looking at verses 27 through 40. And I'll admit, these are, these are not easy verses. Uh, a lot of Jesus' teaching is not easy, but these are difficult ones to even understand at first reading. And so, maybe even if you're at home, I invite you to take out your Bible and open it up to Luke chapter 20, because we want to stick closely uh, to the Scriptures this morning. Luke chapter 20, I'm starting in verse 27. Verse 27 says, Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Okay, let me just pause right here after one verse and give us some background information that's going to help us to understand what's going on. First of all, the Sadducees were some of the religious leaders of that day. Now, we're most familiar with the Pharisees, and we know a lot about the Pharisees, but we don't know very much about the Sadducees, and so let me try to uh, catch us up to speed. One of the things that we know is that they believe in no resurrection. I mean, that's given to us right here in this verse. And beyond that, they don't even believe there is an afterlife. They really believe that all we have in this world and in our lives is, are these years that we live here on earth. There's no resurrection. There's nothing coming. There's no afterlife. All they follow, the Sadducees, are the first five books of the Bible, what we sometimes call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as they, scu- the, as they study the Pentateuch, they see no evidence of a life after this life, an eternal life. And so they come to Jesus with a question. Now, as we look at this question, it's it's kind of a riddle. And, uh, And we'll notice that if they don't believe in the resurrection, this is simply a silly riddle that I'm sure they've used a thousand times. They think it's foolproof. Their motivation here is actually just to embarrass Jesus. Let's go to the riddle now, verse 28. Teacher, they said, Moses, that's the author of the Pentateuch. Uh, so they're referring to the uh, the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote that for us. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That that's true. Uh, in fact, the reference there is Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 and 6. The commandment that God gives is: if a woman, di- if a man dies, if a husband dies, uh, the husband's brother is to take the man's wife, the widow, and marry her. And this was a protection for the woman. This was a very uh, patriarchal society in which the woman would have really no means to provide for herself. All of the man's inheritance would have gone back to his family. And so God provides this law as a provision for her, that she would then be married into the family again and, uh, and, and potentially be able to produce offspring, have a way to support herself. So they start with this as the foundation. Now, verse 29, it says, Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. So the law is going to kick in. The second, I don't know why this is two words in this verse. Maybe this is just for people that struggle memorizing verses. You can say, I'm going to memorize Luke 20, 30. The second, you got it. Okay, I'm sorry, that's a tangent. I didn't mean to say that. But uh, uh, the second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Now keep in mind, we've got to get this little riddle in our minds. This is a really ridiculous situation. First of all, we know that the Pharisees don't even believe in a resurrection, and now they've created this ridiculous situation in which a woman marries a husband. Uh, the husband dies. She marries the next brother in line, goes through seven brothers, and then dies without a, uh, uh, without a child. And the question is, in the resurrection, who will she be married to since she was married to seven husbands and no children? The first thing I want to... Uh, uh, asked in this ridiculous hypothetical situation is, is anybody looking into the, what the woman is feeding these men for dinner? I mean, you think after a while, she's, they're dropping like flies. It's one after another after another. And, uh, and it's just, a, you, you, we almost chuckle at it. It's meant to be ridiculous. What they're trying to do is, is show that the, Jesus's belief in the afterlife and in the resurrection is so ludicrous. They're trying to embarrass him by giving him this ridiculous situation that they think it, there is no answer to. Now, Jesus could have taken this riddle and simply brushed it off to the side. You, you numbskulls, you don't even believe in the resurrection. Why are you asking me this ridiculous question? But Jesus is actually going to engage in it with some seriousness because for him the resurrection is very serious and for us as christians the idea of an afterlife an eternal life is crucial to uh, this is what we, we have to hang on to sometimes and in some of life's most difficult moments. You know, this past week, I sat with Eric Aguero the day after his father died of uh, an aggressive pancreatic cancer. And in those difficult moments, you, you just don't even hardly know what to say. And, uh, and you just try to be there and you try to uh, provide comfort. But, but sometimes the only real comfort is the idea that uh, you will see that loved one again someday in heaven. You see, the, the idea of an afterlife is crucial for us. In fact, much of our faith hangs on this. But many people do not believe in a resurrection or a life after this life. Not only those that are not not religious, but some even within religious circles. In the 1990s, uh, there was a group that arose called Jesus Seminar. I went to Bible college in the late 1990s and then in seminary in the two, early 2000s. And we had to wrestle with what is the Jesus Seminar teaching. Marcus Borg, who was one of the leaders of the Jesus Seminar, said... As a child, I took for granted that Easter meant that Jesus literally rose from the dead. I now see Easter very differently. For me, it is is irrelevant whether or not the tomb was empty. Whether Easter involves something remarkable happening to the physical body of Jesus is irrelevant. And this is one of the who, who, this was a person that was considered a leading Christian scholar in the world. He says whether Jesus actually rose from the dead, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, is this spiritual analogy. And I want to say, Marcus Borg, you were, uh, you were a lot smarter as a child than you are as an adult. Because, because the literal resurrection, the physical body of Jesus being ra- raised from the dead is crucial. At least that's what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, and we are to be pitied more than all men. You see, the idea that there was an empty tomb on Easter morning meant that sin and death had been conquered, that sin had been done away with on the cross, and now there was victory over it. And the same thing applies to us who are believers. Our, our hopes ultimately lie in the fact that one day there will be a bodily resurrection. This is how the Bible teaches this teaches this. Uh, in Jesus' uh, first coming, he dies and rises from the dead, and that is called the his resurrection is called the first fruits. And all of us who live from now until he comes again are awaiting his second coming when there will be a resurrection. Your loved ones right now are in the presence of God. Uh, that those that have believed and trust in him and they exist there in spirit. But one day when Jesus comes back, all those spirits will accompany him to this earth. What the Bible calls in the last two chapters, in Revelation 21 and 22, there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which our spirits are joined with a physical body and we will reign for all eternity over this new heavens and this new earth. It is heaven, yes, but it is earth, finding, it is earth realizing its complete redemption. And so all of that makes a big difference in how we live our lives now, that means that what we do here on this earth will count for all eternity. Earth is not just blown up and destroyed with fire. Uh, earth is being redeemed. Both the, the physical earth, but much more important, those that inhabit the earth who are created in the image of God. God. And so it's kind of like the Garden of Eden. That's the way Revelation speaks of it, but far better. And so Jesus takes all of these things of the resurrection very seriously, and he engages the Sadducees' ridiculous uh, situation in this way. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection, so in other words, uh, in eternal life, what the life after this earth, uh, in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die. They will live forever. For they are like the angels, and they are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. So Jesus has taken their uh, situation and now he is expounding upon it. He's talking about the age to come. And he says in the age to come, and we're going to unpack this and what this really and the significance of this, but in the age to come there is no marriage. There is not, uh, not, there will not be marrying or giving in marriage. And some of you have had a difficult week, and you're like, "Woo, yes! Eternity without marriage. And uh, some of you may think, no, I love my dear husband, my dear wife. I don't want to not be married to them. Sammy and I will celebrate 48 years next month. I want to be married to him for all eternity. Well, we're going to talk in a moment about the relationship that we, we will have with our spouse or with any loved one. But let me just be uh, clear that the Bible says, the Bible does not say that there will be no marriage in heaven. In fact, it makes it clear that there will be marriage in heaven, but there will be one marriage, and that between Christ and his bride, the church. And we will all be a part of it. Paul links human marriage to a higher reality in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to the, his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So this is a foreshadowing. Uh, so the next verse says, this is a profound mi- mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. There is a a marriage coming up uh, in the next life that will be so beautiful and it will be so filled with love that any relationship that we have right now, it will just make it look so pitiful and small. Now, that is not minimizing the loves that we have on this earth. All I'm trying to emphasize is the love that we will experience for e- eternity is almost be, uh, beyond our grasp right now. It'll be so filled with joy and delight that it'll, that it'll be uh, overwhelming on a day-in and day-out basis. But we get a little foretaste of that, this right now. Maybe the most significant relationship you have uh, right now, the greatest love relationship you have right now, is with your husband or your wife. Or maybe it is with a best friend. But the point is, uh, the love that we experience right now will grow and it'll become greater and greater until we realize, until we receive its climax in heaven itself. You know, whenever I have a. Um, a wedding, I always use what is called a love triangle. Now, uh, usually that gets a little chuckle because we don't think of love triangles in uh, any positive light. But in this love triangle, it's a good thing because at the top of the triangle is God Himself and then the husband and the wife. And the point of this illustration is that the closer the husband and the wife grow towards God, the closer they actually get to one another. And surely, and the farther away they get from God, the farther away they are from one another. So in other words, as we want to see our marriage grow in love, we grow towards the Lord, uh, and that help brings us uh, together. Surely that is even greater in, in heaven. When we experience the full love of God, we will have a connection with one another that we can only dream of right now. The Bible talks about there uh, being, the Bible in the New Testament is written in the Greek language, and and there are four words that are used for love. There is storge, which is family love, eros, which is romantic love, phileo, which is friendship love, and agape, which is godly love. Agape, uh, I want to give some attention to because This is the deepest, best love, the love of God. Agape is defined as a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. The highest of the four types of love in the Bible. The agape love is what we will experience for all eternity. And it makes storge love, friendship love, uh, romantic love, family love, it makes those things just kind of pass to the wayside because this is what we ultimately want. We want to experience that selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. And what we have happening, if I can boil this passage, this conversation that Jesus is having with the Sadducees down to its nuts and bolts, what he is saying is marriage love will uh, pass away. And in the life to come, there will be a higher love. There will be no need for marriage because we will be in the presence of God, the love of God. And that doesn't minimize our relationship with one another. In fact, that makes it so much greater. The intimacy that we experience with not only our spouse, but with everyone else will will pale in comparison. Will make everything, everything that we experience right now pale in comparison to that. It'll have intimacy. It'll have companionship. It'll have that deep, unconditional, sacrificial love. How was Jesus' last week? Well, circumstantially, it couldn't have been worse. He felt alone. He felt abandoned by his friends. He felt even abandoned by his Heavenly Father. But eternally speaking, it couldn't have been better because it is on that week that he demonstrated to us most vividly what it means to have agape love. You see, our application for today's message is simply this. We ought to evaluate our lives based on our loves. Not based on how well things are going, or how poorly things are going. Not based on how we feel or, uh, or if everything is a success. I'm not diminishing those things or saying they aren't important. But I'm saying what is most important in our lives is how well we are loving people and loving God. Isn't that what Jesus told us is the most important, the two greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's our application to evaluate our lives based on our loves. Maybe life has been crummy lately. Maybe you are so frustrated or lonely or disappointed or discouraged or depressed and And this has been a really hard season. Man, this has got to be one of the hardest times. But at the same time, we know that this season has provided so much potential to love. In fact, doors may be opened to love others now like they never have before. How much can you pray for someone how much can you call up someone who is lonely or, or uh, who is discouraged? How could you leave a plate of food on your neighbor's doorstep? Uh, think of all the opportunities that we have to love that weren't here five months ago or whatever. This is uh, an opportunity. It's circumstantially, it's really hard. But eternally, we've got opportunity to love like maybe we never have before. To evaluate our lives, not on how well things are going, but how well we are loving our God and our neighbor. You know, we think about our neighbors and uh, we think about all of those that we love, but let me just challenge us here for a moment. Uh, sometimes I like to do this little exercise with people. Pretend this is your block. You live in the red house here in the center. And if you live in an apartment or a or, uh, or in, a some, or in a condo or something. It's the, the whole thing applies. You can... Uh, you live on in this house. Uh, who is it that lives next to you, to your right? Uh, what's, wh- what are the neighbors to your right? What are their names? How are they doing during this pandemic? And uh, uh, how are you praying for them? What about your neighbors to your left? Who are they and what are they going through? What are their kids' names and what are their greatest needs right now? What about the people that live across the street from you or live uh, across the back fence from you? What What are they going through right now? I am amazed how often when I do this little exercise with people, we barely know our neighbors in this day and age. We don't even hardly know their names, let alone what's going on in their life. And that, I'll be honest, we should be a little bit embarrassed about that. If Jesus told us to love our neighbors, yes, I know it's more than just your, those that live right next door to you. But uh, are we really taking up, taking up every opportunity Jesus has given us? If we're not going out of our way to love those that are right next to us, as a church, we've been celebrating being in this community for the last 20 years. How, how good are we doing uh, at loving, how well are we doing at loving those that live right around us as a church? We may have room to improve here. We ha- may have room to improve in reaching our, neighbor, uh, reaching our neighbors around the church, but my whole point is the opportunities are there. May we not, uh, may we not get so caught up in just everyday stuff, that we forget to take advantage of the greatest potential that we have to make a difference for all eternity. And that is by loving those with Christ-like love. We love too little, and it's seen in how we pray for our neighbors so little. We love so little, and it's seen in how much uh, the needs of those around us break our hearts. We're far too selfish. We love too little, and it's seen in how much we think about our neighbors and those that we know and and truly care for them. We need a wake-up call to truly get out of our own comfort zones and to love others. We love far too little. C.S. Lewis said it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We get so caught up in our own little lives. Lewis says we get caught up in things like drink and sex and selfish ambition when God is calling us to something so much greater. Something that will last forever. A love with God and a love for one another. Those are the things that will continue on for all eternity. May we not be far too easily pleased. He uses this illustration of a little child making mud pies in the slum. And I can imagine going back to little Johnny making mud pies in the backyard. Come on, Johnny, we're going to go on a cruise. It's going to be wonderful. I don't want to go on a cruise. I don't want to make mud pies in the back alley. No, it's going to be great. They have a wave pool on this big ship, and we're going to see, uh, we're going to see uh, dolphins in the ocean. It's going to be wonderful. I don't want to go in a wave pool, and I don't like dolphins. I don't even know what dolphins are. You see, we get so caught up in these silly, meaningless, trivial things when something so much greater is offered to us. May we open up our hearts. May we not be like a little ignorant child, but may we open up our hearts and our minds to the realities that are all around us that eternity exists and we can live for what is most important. That agape love. We need to learn to evaluate our lives based on our loves. So when Jesus talks about the work of the kingdom, he talks about loving the needy and the poor. People in In flesh and bones that exist with material needs. He talks about coming along little kids and uh, education towards children is so important because God has brought a kingdom to experience full life. He talks about caring for one's neighbor. He talks about comforting the hurt and lonely, even when we consider caring for our our environment and the physical world around us, all these things matter because there is a resurrection from the dead. There is a new heavens and a new earth. He talks about praying for those who are not yet saved, and I say not yet saved because God could still work in their lives. This is kingdom work, and the list could go on and on, but my point is God is calling us to do the work of jesus that will last forever the reason there is no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth is not because marriage is not important or that there is not uh, love point is that the love will abound so much more there will not be a need for marriage we'll be overcome overwhelmed uh uh, uh, just swimming in the agape love of God. And so once, once more, we evaluate our lives based on our loves. While the Sadducees set out to embarrass Jesus, he has not done anything to embarrass himself. In fact, he has shown us that life only makes sense when we look at it through the lens of eternity. He has redefined everything based on how well we love. At the end of the passage, it says, some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher, and no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus had proven himself to, be, to interpret the scriptures better than anyone because he was the author of the scriptures. And by the end of the week, He would be the author of salvation as well. How was Jesus' week? It was the best week in the history of the world, not because it was easy or because everything went well, but because he did everything out of love. And so it is now in that light that we turn to the communion table and remember his body and blood that was broken and shed for us.